We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Yeah, those songs tell the story because uh, what else could we ask for than it's well with our soul? I mean, what, what would be better than that? To know that if this was the last time we ever got to see one another face to face, that it's okay, that there's nothing stronger than Christ nothing better than Christ, and that we have the confidence to know that uh, apart from this world, out of this body, we'd be with him. And so I've had some friends pass away lately. And the older we get, it seems like that happens more often. But uh, that happens also no matter what age we are. And, and I miss them. I miss them greatly. There was an evangelist that came to our town <clears throat> when I was a teenager and uh, they would meet and do revival-type services in our football stadium. And I always thought it was kind of comical because I would look out there on that football stadium that, that uh, I'd got tackled and, you know, and got my knee hurt and got, had the football hit me on the helmet. And I was quite a football player when I was in school, by the way. One of the things I'm just grateful for is we didn't have uh, cell phones to video everything. We didn't have... Uh, Cameras to, to have it all, it's, it's all in my mind now. Nobody remembers it hardly. But he was an evangelist speaking about one of his friends and, and uh, he, he said everything we did was competition. He always, always, always made everything we did, no matter what, was, our friendship, what we did in school, what we did in athletics, what we did on tests, everything, he made it a competition and he said, I always beat him. He tried, tried every time to beat me, but he said, this, that's just the way that it happened. Uh, God blessed me to be a better athlete and, and uh, you know, and, and I could just do things easier. And he worked so hard because he wanted to beat me. And then he told the story of his, of his friend that got very sick and he passed away. And at his funeral, he stood above that casket and he said, calling his name, he said, you know what? You beat me. And for those that have already gone on to be with Jesus, they just beat us there. They just beat us there. And so I pray for, hoping you had a great Thanksgiving. I look forward to Christmas time. I hope you and your families can worship the Lord and be together and love each other. Uh, remember during this time that it is a very lonely time for a lot of people. Some will not have their loved one with them this Christmas. It's sad, but a lot of times people do pass away during the holiday season and and when that uh, day comes around, um, those memories are there. So uh, please, please be sure and remember others during this Christmas season. I want you to look with me what Jake read us out of Mark chapter 3. We've been studying the gospel of Mark. We've been looking for the immediately's over 40-something times in the scripture. He uses the word immediately. And I wanted you to think about Mark as this great storyteller full of energy and life. Uh, I think about that, that commercial, I believe it was Disneyland, Disney World, and the little boy is so excited and he can't wait for Disneyland and the trip down there, and he just says, I just can't sleep. And I thought, how many times in my life, I would go to my mother about this time of year and say, how many days till Christmas? And my mom was a patient lady and she'd tell me how many days. I'd go back the same day. How many days is it till Christmas? And she's like, the same I told you earlier, it's the same day. The next day, mom, how long is it till Christmas? And she was, bless her heart, she was a saint in listening to me because I was so excited 
looking forward to something. Well, that's Mark. Mark is rehearsing a lot of things. Uh, the commentators believe that Peter taught him and, and shared what happened when Peter was with Christ. So Mark gets excited. He doesn't go into detail. Sometimes he'll just tell you an event and it's only a couple verses or a couple of sentences. And every time we read that word immediately, you could just picture this guy getting so excited he can't sleep. He just can't wait to tell you the next thing Jesus has done for him. My question for you in these six verses here tonight is, who is this that had a withered hand? You may say, well, Mike, that was 2,000 years ago. I don't know the man's name. I don't know who he was. But as we walk through this passage, I want to ask you that question more often. Who is this that has a withered hand? Let's look at it. Now, remember, uh, I had mentioned to you that there are five different confrontations, controversies, or conflicts that Jesus is facing so far in the Gospel of Mark. The first one was the paralytic, you remember, that was laid, uh, let down through the roof while Jesus was preaching. And the Pharisees came and said, what are you doing that for? Instead of being so excited, the power of God is there. Did a miracle, healed this man. They did not care about that, that paralyzed man. They didn't care. Imagine how hard a heart would have to be that you wouldn't care that a paralyzed man was made whole. Uh, some of us were just at a baptismal service a while ago. I'm thinking, look, as I look out here, and a dad baptized his daughter, and they just hugged. And I think everybody started bawling the whole chapel there. Those are sweet, sweet times. How could you not care about a paralyzed man being made well? Well, that was the first confrontation with the Pharisees. The second one was about Matthew. Matthew was a, the Levite. He was a Levi, and he was a tax collector. Jesus passed by and said, come follow me. He throws a party in his house, and guess who shows up again? Those Pharisees. What's he doing eating with these sinners, these tax collectors, these publicans? What is Jesus doing eating with these sinful people? What kind of conscience would you have to have if you act like you're better than everyone else and you condemn someone else as a sinner and the Jews are giving the appearance and, and their, their, uh, their belief about themselves, they're not sinners. That was the next one. The next one was about fasting. Why do your disciples not fast? John's disciples fast, the Pharisees' disciples fast, but you don't fast. Jesus said, I'm here with them. They don't need to fast right now. When I'm taken away, I'm gonna go and they'll fast then. Controversy. The next one was the grain fields. They walked through and picked some of the grain on the Sabbath and ate it like David ate the showbread of the Old Testament. And here they came. Oh, you've broken the Sabbath. You have worked on the Sabbath. Well, he hadn't done anything wrong because Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath and he doesn't do things wrong. Controversy. And here's number five. They're trying to catch Jesus breaking the law of God. And I want to make a distinction. There is the law of God in the Old Testament, and there is what's called the Mishnah. Those are all the other laws that the Jewish leaders added to the law of God. They have all different kinds of things they added to it. God never said those things. And so when you hear the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the chief priests, the rulers, the elders coming and trying to trick Jesus in breaking the law, it sounds like he's doing what God said not to do. He's not. He's not breaking the law of God. He's breaking the laws and the traditions of men. He told those, those uh, Jewish hypocrites, 
you have exchanged or you teach for the doctrines of God, traditions of men. So we gotta be careful we don't do that also. In churches around the country, we could get caught up and have some, some little pet peeve scriptures. And that's all we wanna talk about. And we're different than everybody else because we believe this and we believe it so strongly. And we gotta be careful because we might be doing what these Pharisees did. But in verse one, it said, he entered again into a synagogue. A synagogue was a building much like a church. They didn't have synagogues all the time in the beginning, way back in the Old Testament. This is a later thing, but it's like a church. And a man was there whose hand was withered. I thought about that when I was studying. I've known several people who had a withered hand. One of them, there's one who's a brother in Christ to me right now, and he's in our church. And I see him and, and talk to him all the time. Very accomplished uh, businessman. He loves his wife. She's got some uh, really uh, severe health issues right now. But he's had a withered hand probably his whole life. And I wonder how many, if we got to thinking, that you might know someone in the very ailment, a physical ailment, that this man had. Luke chapter 6, when it talks about this same story, goes a little further and tells us about his hand, and it was his right hand. It was his right hand. And what that would be in the day of, uh, that we're reading about, that would be a stigma because most people were right-handed, not everyone. All of you people in your right mind are left-handed. I've heard about that before. And, uh, but the people would work with their right hand. And if you had a withered right hand, you were unable to do a lot of work who could pay, uh, you could get paid for, uh, support your family and yourself. So it was a stigma. It would be something that he was probably made fun of as a little child. It would be something that he was looked down on because he wasn't completely whole. Even the law, the Bible says, uh, Leviticus twenty two twenty two. if an animal was less than perfect, he wouldn't be able to be uh, accepted. If someone, a maimed person, couldn't be a priest, so this man probably knew a lot of disappointments. Could I say something here just as plainly as I could? We all look different. We all are made differently by our creator. Uh, I look back at some of my pictures when I was like in the first grade. Or even uh, I looked at a baby picture the other day. I think I had full grown man ears when I was born. Put these ears on a brand new baby, and what do you think I look like? But you know what? We all have different things. And when I was young, I would, you know, I would look at something about my features and think, why don't I look like them, or why can't I be, can't, why can't I have muscles like these other guys? Please don't do that. You are the way God made you, and you're beautiful in His sight. You may be tall, you may be short, it doesn't matter. God made you the way he wanted you. And you are something that is a treasure, a workmanship of God. And don't spend another second of your life if an ear sticks out or something like that. Because we all have those things. We have grown up in a world, though, that when you go look at the magazines in the grocery stores, those people are perfect, aren't they? But you know how they get perfect, don't you? There's a lot of technology involved in that. I put, a, I put my senior uh, picture from high school on the internet and I, on uh, Facebook, and I got one person right after another 
He, you look just like, you look just like, you just look just like, and I'm not going to say his name because it'll go out over the, <laughs> welcome all of you who are listening online too, but I don't want him to know he's an actor and, you know, he might be, uh, might sue me or something. But he, they, one right after another, you look just like this actor. You look just like him. And, just like, and I said, why don't I look like him now then? Because he still looks really, really good. And they said, well, he probably has more money than you do. He's had more plastic surgeries than you have. And he has more access to things that change the way he looks. You know what? God made us the way we are. And uh, I spent time growing up thinking, I wish I was this. I wish I was this. Uh, I've had people I remember that used to make fun of me because I was really, really, really thin. I mean, really thin. And I'm thinking about this one girl that moved into town. She was beautiful. She was beautiful, literally. I mean, just, and uh, she doesn't even know that I know this, but I, I heard her making fun of me one time to someone else about how, how skinny I was. Well, that was 40 years ago. And you know how hard it is for me not to go up to her and say, I'm not skinny anymore. And uh, by the way, you remember what you used to look like? And I'll just leave it right there. It's real hard for me to not go up and to say that. But I just tell you, God made us the way we are. And just love the way you are. Thank the Lord for who you are. And when you look in the mirror, just say, well done, God. Well done. They came and... uh, a man came to church that day with a withered hand. He'd probably been made fun of a lot of his life. Probably had a hard time making a living for himself. But you know what? I believe that this man with a withered hand is a picture of something else. I believe it's a perfect picture of the state of mankind. You know what? We're all handicapped. We are unable to do for ourselves what only our Savior can do. If we could save ourselves, the remedy for sin would be in our own power. We wouldn't need Jesus. But we're all withered. Oh, it may not be our hand, but our soul. It's handicapped. It falls way short. And so I believe that this man is a picture in this first part of the passage of the state of mankind. We are in great, great need. The Bible goes on to say in verse 2, We've seen the need. Now let's look at the enemies. They're there watching all the time. They were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. The Pharisees refused to see the need of this man. And, and again, I have to, to ask the question, how could, they, how could they be so morally bankrupt that if this man who'd had a withered hand his whole life, someone now has the power of God that could heal him What kind of person would not say yes? I mean, I've known some pretty rotten people in my life, but they would have been glad for this guy. But these Pharisees are so intent on fighting against Jesus. It just amazes me. The Bible teaches us why. They don't even know fully why they're against him. They're deceived. They're in darkness in our world here today. I think about situations that we have in our country that are right and wrong. And you've probably asked the question, how could somebody agree with those things? How could they? Well, you know what? If they don't know Christ, they're blind. They're darkened. They're deceived. 
And if we didn't know Jesus, we probably wouldn't be able to see those things either. So they said they're watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. Not so they might say, thank the Lord, God, you, the Messiah is here. The one you said was going to be able to do this. They're not watching him for a right reason. If they were watching Jesus for a right reason, that'd be great. They're watching him for a wrong reason so that they might have to accuse him. I still wonder, why didn't they care about that crippled man? Why didn't they want Jesus to be able to do anything they could? Now, the sin of profaning the Sabbath was punishable by the death penalty. That's how serious it was. If you broke God's law of the Sabbath, it was the death penalty. God didn't intend for you to work and to get money with your job on the Sabbath day. He wanted you to rest like God did in creation. But Jesus came along and he said, I'm not talking about if your, your donkey or your son, one gospel says, falls into a ditch. You don't leave him there in the ditch. You get your animal or your son up out of the ditch. You feed your animals on the Sabbath day. He's not talking about that because that's not working to get money. That's a need. There are people right now that would say, oh, you don't need to go to the grocery stores on Sunday. And I, I would love for us to say, no, let's buy our groceries on Saturday and let the people that work at the stores go to church on Sunday. I'm all for that. But if there's a family in need, is it wrong for me to go buy Kroger and buy them some groceries on, on Sunday? No. The need is there, and it's the intent of the heart. I'm not trying to work on the Lord's day, and they wouldn't be wanting to work on the Sabbath day, but they'd want to do good. They'd want to meet needs. But these Pharisees, they don't care. They're trying to find anything that Jesus would do wrong. I thought about that. They don't want him to work on the Sabbath day, but does evil work on the Sabbath day? Our Sabbath that we have, our Sunday, the day that we worship the Lord, does the devil take off on Sundays? He doesn't, does he? When I was young, you may think, here he goes on with those stories again. But you know one of some of the biggest temptations that I faced in church on Sunday morning? And I wondered about that for a long time. I thought, what kind of guy am I? Does this happen to anybody else? But the enemy was not pleased when I was going to church on Sunday morning. Why wouldn't he attack? Why wouldn't he want to turn us away? So here we see, we've seen the need. A guy has a withered hand and he's, he needs healing. We've seen the enemies. They're watching Jesus to try to catch him and to accuse him of something wrong. And now we're going to see the miracle. Verse three, he said to the man with a withered hand, get up and come forward. Have you noticed there's been three healings so far in the gospel of Mark and every time Jesus said, get up, get up. He gave mankind something to do. This man's not going to heal himself, just like the paralytic man. He didn't heal himself. The blind man, he didn't heal himself. But in each case, Jesus said, get up. When the miracle of God touches our life, he wants us to respond. A lot of those songs that they just let us in a while ago talk about God's work in our life and then our response to him. That, was, that baptism just a while ago, those testimonies, they talked about how God convicted them. They were living a life full of darkness and confusion and anxiety and pain, suffering. And then somebody shared the gospel with them. And they cried out to Jesus. And 
God showed them to do something. They, they came to church and they got around Christians. And so here he says, get up and come forward. <coughs> now I want to mention something to you there. Here, this guy, that's probably putting him on the spot. Because Jesus, it would be similar to after the service here, I'm going to ask everybody that doesn't know Jesus to walk forward and come to the front of the church. There's nothing wrong with giving an invitation. You don't coerce somebody to do that, but there's nothing wrong with doing that. But does it take some courage? Does it take some courage to get up out of your seat and walk to the front of a congregation? That's what Jesus is asking this man to do. Get up and come forward. Now, he's probably been seen by so many people with that withered hand. Maybe he's hiding it. Maybe he's covering it up with some clothes. And now Jesus is saying, get up, walk down, come in front and stand in front of everybody. I believe it took courage to do that. When uh, people confess Christ, that if you confess the Lord Jesus with your mouth, it takes courage to stand up for Jesus. We've lived in America where it's very easy to confess Christ for all of our lives. Some countries, when you do that, I baptized a Jewish Christian girl one time and one of the sweetest uh, times I've ever had in my life. And I remember how thankful I was that she had come to know Jesus. But she talked to me a lot about her family. She said, I'm afraid to go home. I'm afraid of what my daddy's going to do. And guys, it's not just from the Middle East. It's not just, well, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. It's sometimes life and death. It's sometimes having courage to stand up for Jesus and your family never speaking to you again as long as you live. So she was afraid. God worked that out. I'm thankful. But he said to this man, get up. The synagogues were arranged with seating on the sides. It's not like we have here. You're sitting here and I'm standing in front of you. They were seated on the side and he's, he's being asked to come right in the middle. You're going to be the center of attention. So I believe it took a lot of courage for this man to do that. I just picture him getting up and walking probably pretty slowly because people might have known who he was. Do you think there were some people in the synagogue that day saying, what's he doing? We saw him sitting out there by the gate. We've seen this guy. Do you think people had their opinions? Just like in our, our world today. Get up and come forward. Verse four says, and he said to them, notice Jesus spoke to the man first. And I'm going to ask you that question again. Who is this with a withered hand? Who has a withered hand in this passage? Told this man, get up and come forward. And now he turns to those Pharisees and he says, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? To save a life or kill? Oftentimes in the scripture, when Jesus was asked a question, he did not answer. He asked the people that asked him a question, a question they couldn't answer. And notice what it says. They kept silent. Uh, because if they said, no, it's right to do good on the Sabbath day, Jesus is, is doing good toward this man and they'd be caught. No, it's right to do harm on the Sabbath day. Well, now they'd be breaking God's law. You don't do harm. So they just kept their mouth shut. Is it right to give life or to kill? And then something very interesting. One of the only times in the scripture in the New Testament, verse five takes place. Did you know that? After looking around at them with anger. 
In the, in the book of James, the Bible tells us that the wrath of man, the anger of man, does not work the righteousness of God. Do you know of other times in the scripture when Jesus got angry? He did, didn't he? This is the only time that it uses that language that said he looked on them with anger. But there was a time, two different times, Jesus went and cleared the temple, didn't he? You think he was angry that day when he took a whip and he drove the, the money changers out of the temple, turned their tables over, drove those animals out? The Bible says, the zeal of the house of the Lord has eaten me up. If you ever wonder why Jesus did that, think, think with me for a moment. Jesus, when it came down to himself being beaten, plucking the beard off his face, uh, whipping him with a Roman scourge, hit, being hit in the face, Jesus took that. But when they dishonored God, his father, he stood up. David in the Old Testament, when somebody cursed him, he said, no, let him curse. When it was about David, he took it. But when Goliath dishonored God, David stood up and he killed the giant. When Jesus says, turn the other cheek, he's talking about that same thing. They're gonna say things about me as a Christian. I've had people say things, they just don't understand. They're dark, they, they're not saved yet. And I've heard them say things about me, I need to turn the other cheek. I need to not let that bother me, I need to be willing to take that. But there's times also when they may talk about our Lord, that God has us rise up. And we get angry at what we need to be angry about, and we stand boldly, for the sake of the Lord. The Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. So don't get mixed up. I used to think, Lord, how can I turn the other cheek and then be willing to uh, stand up for you wherever I'm at? If it's about you, be willing to take it. Be willing to turn the other cheek. Suffer that. When it's about our Lord, I think he wants us to stand boldly and defend him. Well, this man... These people couldn't ask Jesus a question. He looked around at them with anger. Now, it's something we've got to realize the, the, the tense of that word is in the aorist tense. That means that it's momentary. Jesus is not the kind, I'm mad at you and I'm going to be mad at you the rest of my life. Your name is Hatfield, my name is McCoy, and we're going to hate you throughout the generations. That's not what it is. Jesus was mad at them in righteous anger, but it's momentary. That's the tense of that word. <clears throat> Jesus has righteous anger. You might have righteous anger. Do you agree with me? We need to be happy about the things God's happy about. Do you agree with me that we need to be mad about the things God's mad about? We do. If God's angry, we need to be angry about the same thing. But here, he looked on there with anger because they didn't believe God. They didn't believe the goodness of God. Then it says, grieved at their hardness of heart. Now that's interesting because that word grieved there is in a different tense. Anger is in the aorist tense, momentary. It's anger, angry for a moment, but it, it, it passes away. Grieved is in the present tense and it, it looks at being continuous. How many times in the, in the New Testament do you, Jesus was grieved at the hardness of their heart? He was sorrowful. His soul was troubled when he saw them they didn't believe. So I thought that was interesting. He was angry for just a little while, but he was grieved for a long, long time when people didn't believe. 
And then something beautiful happened. Now remember, they're lined up on the sides of the synagogue. Jesus said to the man, get up, come forward. He's standing in the middle. Jesus has turned to him, told him what to do. He turned to the Pharisees and said, you guys don't believe. Looked at them with anger. And then he turned back to the man in the middle. And he says these words. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. Of all things. Why didn't he say, look at my feet or look at my face or something else? He says, stretch out the thing that's been bothering you your whole life. That people have made fun of you about. Stretch out the thing that you couldn't work and provide for yourself the way others could because you didn't have the strength and the power to do that. Stretch out the thing that somebody said is ugly, doesn't work right, the broken. Well, I want to ask you the question again. Who is it that has a withered hand? This man has a literal withered hand that day. But I want to tell you something. I believe these Pharisees had a withered heart. It was dying. It was shriveled up. It was not a kind of heart that God wanted them to have. This man is a picture of mankind in desperate need of a savior. But these Pharisees are in desperate need also. Oh, they might have two hands that work fine but they got a heart that's dead. He gave this man something to do. And oftentimes in the scripture, Naaman, go wash in the Jordan River. Uh, Oftentimes Jesus gave somebody something to do. Not to earn the miracle, not to to, uh, work and get the wages of it. It is just in obedience because Jesus asked him to do, obeying. Stretch out your hand. And that man, I just picture him right now, like he was here today, right up in the middle of that group. He stretched out his hand. And I can just hear some people whispering, I know him, I've seen him before. Look at that hand, what would it be like? But then the miracle takes place. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. When did the miracle happen? When the man obeyed Jesus, it's just as simple as that. When he obeyed what the word of God told him to do, a miracle took place. And I want to encourage you here tonight, whatever you're facing, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, uh, in your family, whatever it may be. I've got a friend right now that is in dire need of prayer in a hospital right now, waiting a diagnosis and Would you just lift up the prayer for this person? You don't even have to know who it is. Every one of us need greatly, don't we? But it was when this man obeyed what Jesus asked him to do. Can you imagine the bones in his fingers straightening out? And he feeling something that he's never felt before, possibly in his whole life. And looking at his other hand, and now they look the same. It says this man's hand was restored, so very possibly he had had a healthy hand before. But right in front of everybody, Jesus, the creator, the son of God, caused his creation to be restored and renewed. Well, oftentimes I read this and I just pass over those things, but think about that for a minute. If you were his friend, how excited would you be? Uh, I've seen some pictures recently when someone got married and I couldn't tell 
who was more excited, the bride or her friends? Because everybody was having a good time. That's the way it ought to be. Can you imagine what it was like for his family? Dad's hand. Oh, you just got to see dad's hand. It's not the same anymore. What a miracle Jesus did for this man that day. I want to ask you again, what kind of conscience could someone have to have that they weren't, oh, this is awesome. This is great. Look what God has done. We're so happy for you. But then we see the plot. The Pharisees went out and immediately, that's number 13 in the book of Mark, began conspiring with the Herodians. These are guys that trusted in Herod Antipas. They were a little bit different than the Pharisees. Uh, They wanted to rule a little bit. They kind of made a covenant with Rome. They're kind of traitors. They're kind of half here and half here. Uh, Judas came from that group, by the way. They make an unlikely alliance with, uh, with some of these other people. And it says, the conspiring with the Herodians against him, against Jesus. Instead of saying, oh, Jesus, we love you. Can I bring some of my family here? Let's go get everybody that we know that might need a miracle. Oh, Jesus, what do you want to say to us? We'll listen to you. We know you're the son of God. The Messiah was the one who's going to have power to do this. Instead of doing that, they conspire together against him as to how they might destroy him. This is one of the earliest references in the Gospel of Mark to the cross. Right behind me is a big cross. I love that. All of the ministry that I've had, except maybe for the first two years, when I was 20 20 and 21, I've had a big cross behind me when I got to preach. I love that. Y'all don't even have to look at me. You can just look right past me and look at that cross. But I want you to realize something. That would be like for our day today, the electric chair. We have capital punishment and someone can have a lethal injection or the electric chair at times in our country that would kill a criminal that had killed other people and it's capital punishment. That cross was Roman capital punishment. And it was one of the most hideous uh, deaths that anybody could ever go through. It was not quick. It was very painful. And these people want to put Jesus, who's never harmed. He did good. He saved life. They want to put him on that cross. Who really was withered? I think these guys were the ones with the withered hands and the withered feet and the withered hearts and the withered lives standing before God. What does it mean for us here today? Uh, One thing I would encourage you, just make sure you're on the right side. Make sure you're pulling for the right team. If you'd have been there that day, wouldn't you be excited for that man? Oh, you would run up to him. And I want, let me say something pretty personal here. And I don't mean this. If anybody's going through this right now, I don't know who you are. I'm not saying it for any other reason. But when I see a, a woman or a man or a young adult or whoever they are, and they've been praying for something that they want really badly, and God just hasn't granted it for them yet, but their friend 
God does it for them. Now, there's a tendency for us to cry out and say, why, God? I'm trying to do everything you want me to do. I'm trying to be a good Christian. Why don't you hear my prayers? You hear their prayers. But when I see that woman or that man or that young adult or that child even be so happy for that other person because God blessed them. I look at that person, I think, that's the kind of people I want to I worship with. That's the kind of people I want to do battle with. Because even in their own disappointment, they can rejoice in somebody else's blessing. Why didn't everybody rejoice in that man getting healed that day? Well, it's the same reason people don't agree today about abortion. It's the same reason people don't agree today about all the other atrocities that we have in our, in our lives. It's the same reason why people didn't agree about Nazi Germany. It's the same reason why we have differences and conflicts today. People that are not on God's side. And I'm not talking about political. I'm not talking about race. I'm not talking about nationality. I'm talking about true believers in Christ that choose God's way if they don't obey him and they don't agree with him, they're going to end up being like these Pharisees. And even if God blessed and healed a man right in front of their eyes, they have no heart toward that whatsoever. How hard a heart and conscience would it take to not be excited for this man? So what's the takeaway for you and me? I want to give you four things and we're going to pray. The man with the withered hand was not the only one who had a need that day. Would you agree with me? He wasn't the only one that had a need. I believe everybody in the story had a withered hand except Jesus. And can we rejoice in the fact that his hand is not withered? The Bible says the hand of the Lord's not short. It can do anything. Jesus can accomplish anything. You may say, Mike, you don't know what I need. It's a big one. Well, we got a big God. So the hand of the Lord is not withered and it's not short in any way. God can do whatever he wants. Number two, those that choose evil, I mean, it's a choice. They are deceived. They'll argue with you. They'll go to their death sometimes. I've been with people on their deathbed who reject Jesus Christ. Now, five seconds after they die, it would be a different story because they're deceived and they're darkened and their heart is hard. Oh, pray for people like that. They'll always fight against the truth. Wherever it's at, they'll always fight against the truth, just like the Pharisees did. Number three, we must reach out to Jesus when he calls us. That man literally that day, Jesus said, stretch out your hand. You may be here tonight, and when I mentioned those areas that you might be struggling with, spiritually, physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, whatever it may be, Jesus may be asking you to stretch out your hand tonight. That might mean talk to the person sitting next to you. Hey, can I talk to you for five minutes? Would you pray with me about something? I'll guarantee you the people in this room here tonight say, sure, I will. Sure, I'll pray with you. And you might make a difference in their lives. We need to reach out to Jesus when he calls us. We don't work our way into salvation. We don't work our way into a miracle. We don't work our way into a changed life. But we obey him. When he told that man, reach out, that man reached out. And if you're here tonight, I've told you before, I'll stay right here all night if I need to. 
You reach out to somebody that'll pray with you, encourage you, and just give you the, the brother or sister kind of love that we're supposed to to point you back to Jesus and his word. Maybe people that are listening online, you may be by yourself and you think, nobody knows where I'm at, nobody knows what I'm going through. I want to tell you, Jesus does. And wherever you're at right now, if you'll reach out toward him, I'm not talking about reaching out toward the television. Reach out toward the television. You know what those kind of people do? They want to, they want to ask you to send a check in right after they tell you to do that. <laughs> I'm not talking about, Jesus didn't put on a show with his miracles. But reach out to Jesus. And then number four, there is nothing. There is nothing. There is nothing that Jesus can't heal. He can fix anything. I want to tell you a little story about a little blonde-headed boy named Bucky. He was four years old. A lot of church people say, a four-year-old can't come to know Jesus, too young. Talk about an age of accountability, understanding. That's fine if that's what they believe. But I tell you what, the Bible teaches us that the, the Lord and Savior wrote the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. He knows who's going to be saved, and he can call a child. If John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb when Mary walked into the room, that wasn't a fetus. That was a baby jumping. Even before he was born, Jesus can call someone anytime. Little Bucky. Have you met one of those kind of people that are, they're just full of life. This little four-year-old boy was cute, blonde-headed. And man, he smiled. Everybody liked him. He was full of energy. He was full of life. And you just couldn't help but love Bucky. I mean, he was a cool little kid. He wasn't, he wasn't brazen. He wasn't smart aleck. He, he just, man, he was full of life. And you just could you want to take him home and hug him and raise him as your own. And on a Sunday morning, little Bucky, after hearing God's word preached, came forward and he, and he said, I want to ask Jesus in my heart. And guys, I want to tell you, he had tears in his eyes that were about that big. I've never seen tears that big in my life coming out of those beautiful blue eyes coming down that little boy's cheeks. Now, how could a four-year-old know that he was a sinner? I can't tell you, but God can make him know it. And he knew that he needed Jesus. And little Bucky prayed that prayer with me. Uh, guys, I used to wear boots all the time where I came from out in West Texas. And I never would want to throw away my boots because you know what they were special to me? Those children's tears when they prayed hit my boots. And I always remembered their prayers. He prayed to ask Jesus in his heart. He became a Christian and he was a brand new little boy. His family was excited. The church was excited. And Bucky was saved. His dad moved him off to another town. Four years later, I got a call, and they said, Mike, we want to ask you to do Bucky's funeral. Eight-year-old little boy, Bucky was playing out on the ice on a tank or a pond, and he broke through, and little Bucky drowned. Guys, I can't tell you what my heart felt at that moment. This little boy that was so full of life that some church people would say, he's too young to know Jesus. Bucky met Jesus that day when he was four years old. And I wasn't there with him when that tragedy happened. 
But I tell you what, I'm sure glad that Bucky knew Jesus. And I did that funeral, one of the hardest ones I've ever done. I can still see his face right now. So full of life, so full of joy. He was a special little boy that God reached down in history and just saved him. I beg you here tonight. You may be Bucky. We're not promised to tomorrow, are we? I never would have dreamed that Bucky wouldn't grow up and have a successful life and share Jesus with many other people, but he lived four years after that day. He's one of the people on my list. When I get to heaven and I talk to Jesus for about a million years and I go ask Paul a few questions and I want to have have some things Peter explained to me and some of those guys, I want to go look for Bucky. And there'll be something different about Bucky. Mark, you want to come forward with your group? What's going to be different about Bucky when I see him? There won't be any tears in those eyes anymore because in that place, Jesus is prepared for those that love him. God says, God wipes away all tears from their eyes. So how are you tonight? Do you have a withered hand? Probably not. Do you have a withered heart? Probably not, but you have a troubled heart? Do you have something that you're going through in your family? Maybe relationships? Stretch out your hand. Reach out to Jesus in prayer. You know what you'll find? You'll find him reaching back to you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this man with a withered hand. We don't even know what his name was, but Jesus, you had an appointment with him and you healed him and gave him courage to stand in the midst of that crowd while he watched his hand get restored by the miraculous power of God Almighty. There were other people that day that sure needed some healing too, but they didn't ask you for it. They didn't trust you for it. Oh, Lord, let that not be our failure here tonight. I know, Lord, I'm withered. I'm broken. I'm less than what I should be, but, oh, Lord, I don't want to be. So finish the work you started in me. And, Lord, if there's somebody here tonight that's not sure they're saved, oh, please, let them not even leave the building without knowing for sure you're their Lord and Savior. And I just want to encourage you before you leave tonight, reach out. Ask somebody to pray with you. Ask somebody to talk with you. Do something if you're not sure you're saved. If you are sure you're saved here tonight, pray for everybody else here. But we're not exempt from trouble, are we? Reach out to Jesus and say, Lord, help me with this. Oh, he wants to do that for you so much. So much. And as this worship team led us in the beginning of the service, in that beautiful song, it is well with my soul. If you can say that by the grace of God, Mike, not because of who I am or what I've done, but because God loves me, I can sing that song with a true heart. It is well with my soul. You can leave this place here tonight rejoicing because Jesus loves you, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. In Jesus' name, amen.